Episode three of Cultivating Roots. We hope everyone has enjoyed the first two episodes, and we want to thank everyone who has joined us on our journey into podcasting. Joining us today will be North Carolina STMA Commercial VP Chris Ball. Today we are going to talk about epic fails that we've all experienced throughout our careers. But before we get started, we want to take time to thank all of our 2020 partners and their support of our local chapters. Matt. Will you introduce Chris to our listeners? So today we'd like to welcome Chris Ball, as most of you know him uh, as Butter, uh, the distinguished turf manager throughout the Southeast. Butter comes to us today as our guest. He is a current board member on the North Carolina STMA uh, Board of Directors, holding the role of commercial VP. And um, professionally, he is currently the Southeast Market Development Manager for Profile Products. And uh, in his free time, he enjoys hunting, fishing, and we all know that he likes to swing the golf club. Uh, with that, Chris, we'd like to welcome you and uh, look forward to having you talk today about some of the fails that you've personally encountered through your career and, and some that you've seen and how we can get past those fails. And I'm sure that we'll, we'll share some of ours today as well and, and use them as a learning experience and, and uh, better ourselves for them and our employees for them. So welcome. And if, if I left anything out, go ahead and feel free to add to it. No, you, uh, you, you really haven't left anything out. Thanks for having me guys. And uh, um, th- thanks for putting all this together. Uh, this is really, really unique that we get to do this and spend spend time like this together. And, you know, hopefully down the road, sharing all the story, hearing all the stories from everybody that, that they've gone through through the years. And uh, no, Matt, I think, you, I think you got everything. I was listening to y'all's uh, deal a couple weeks ago when y'all did your first one. And uh, just you look back at in, in our in our association in North and South Carolina and how much knowledge and how many you know how many years of years of doing this we've got collectively as a unit and i think that's what and the ability to share this with each other that's that's what makes you know our our carolinas both north and south carolina chapters so special so again thanks for having me and i'm glad to be here and you know i i i know that that some of y'all listening and and you three guys uh you know, saw kind of the little thing I put together for our, our meeting in Myrtle Beach last year about failures, and I'll be the first <laughs> be the first to tell you I've I've had plenty of my share, and uh, I, I think you do so many of these things, you you got to you got to look back and start to celebrate your failures and and uh, really learn from them. And, and and boy, if I had a camera phone. 20 years ago when I first got into this business, uh, I know that I'd have at least oh, a couple hundred more pictures of things I screwed up. And, and, uh, you know, like, like you guys, all three, y'all went to, to state and got your, uh, your turf degrees. And, and, um, I, I went to UNC Greensboro to teach and coach and ended up I actually went to play my freshman year and just decided that I needed to, I needed the whole college experience a little bit more than I needed playing baseball. But, the uh, the baseball program kept me around, and I would be a student assistant, uh, like a manager, and that kind of evolved in a hurry into being basically now what's the director of baseball operations. I did everything from the travel, you know, assisting in the travel planning, coordinating the bus, the buses, and the, and the uh, you know meals here and there, and you know laundry and practice prep and game prep and things like that. I made sure all the coaches had their you know their charts, and uh, you know back then we did spray charts, so I'd, I'd have to go and analyze spray charts on uh, on teams and put them together throughout the years and things like that. And anyway, we were in a real unique situation at, at UNC Greensboro where we we we. Did, we had no home field. We uh, we practiced at Grimsley High School, and we played at, at the Old Girl War Memorial Stadium, which at that point in time was the oldest minor league park in use in the country. 
And um, I got to actually be really good friends with the uh, head groundskeeper, Mel Lanford there, who, you know, basically I look at him as my, my mentor or my, um, you know, the, the, the individual that really got me into this. And uh, part of my responsibility was to make sure that the practice field was mowed, edged, the track was cleaned up, you know, it was drug. We, we watered pre-game or pre-practice and things like that. And then I had to go on game days when we were at home, go help Mel set the field up, lining it, watering it, dragging it, which, which will bring me to my first, my first real big fail. So it got to be my junior year, and Mel, got, Mel had pretty good confidence in me. And uh, we were playing we, – we always opened with Maryland, and we were playing with Maryland. And Eric Milton, who pitched for the Twins – absolutely shoved it up our tailpipe that opening day i mean just killed it i think i think we uh we, we may have gotten two hits or something like that and in our junior year we were really good we won 54 games and went to the regionals in baton rouge 1997 i mean we were we were really good so anyway so mel butter i'm gonna throw you the keys if you'll drag everything and lock it up i mean mel mel's a tech he's a texan and he, he has this long draw you know long drawn out draw and just Sweet, one of the sweetest guys you've ever met in your life. But so Mel throws me the keys and I'm, he, he claims this is true. I don't think it is, but Mel lives about three blocks from the stadium. Anyway, so I'm dragging the field and the uh, 1200, the infield machine runs out of, runs out of gas. I say, okay, well, you know, let me go get some gas. And, and anyway, I, I end up putting diesel fuel in the 1200. You know, I, I, I didn't know. I mean, he had, you know, 25 gas cans back there and there may have been a marking on it. They were all red. So I put diesel fuel in it. Well, I figured out that if I put diesel fuel in it and ended up having to drain it out, drain the fuel out, all that, ended up putting gas in it and firing it back up. And when I, when I got that sucker to crank up, it just, well, pow! I mean, just, just dropped the hammer and this big plume of black smoke just rises. But anyway, I got, I got the, got the field drug and all that. Well, anyway, mail comes back about, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just getting ready to lock up. And Mel comes back and said, what happened over here? I said, well, what are you talking about? I wasn't going to tell him. You know, I was I was 20 years old getting ready to go drink beer for the night, and I wasn't going to tell him. And he said, it sounds like gunfire over here for a while. So I ended up telling him, and, and uh, you know, to, to think that you'll never do that again, but I've, I've done it once or twice more in my time. Um, but, yeah, so that was – that was really my first big screw up, you know, when I was still, when I was still in college and, and, um, you know, still, still learning the road, but from Greensboro, we finally built a stadium on campus. My, my senior year, uh, we started construction. We finished, I decided that I was going to go to grad school and stay around the baseball program and be a grad assistant. I was in sports psychology. Uh, I was trying to get a master's in sports psychology. I, I still had no idea what I wanted to do because of the stadium being built. They needed somebody to main, you know, to, to be a, a facility manager. So we built the baseball stadium. We built two intramural fields and redid some, some golf holes on the other side of, on the other side of the uh, athletic complex. But my responsibility was going to be for the baseball field, the baseball stadium and the softball field. At that time, UNCG did not have a softball stadium. So anyway, I got, I got the job making $17,500 as the full first full-time facility manager head groundskeeper for that for Spartan stadium and thought I was in heaven. And, uh, you know, really, really learned a lot and just, just, I, I got tired of grad school and I, I was really interested in getting into pro ball and, uh, Mel got me hooked up with, uh, the guys in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the double a club for the expos at that time. That, 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 that dates me. That shows you how long I've been in it. So went to Harrisburg for a year, um, started the second season, got just fish out of water up in Pennsylvania. You know, I'm a, I'm a guy from the coast, North Carolina, love being around my family, love the barbecue, missed it. Got a, got a job with, uh, with a company in Greensboro called NIVAC at that time. And they were a, I'm getting somewhere with a story, believe me. Uh, they were a, uh, a turf and ornamental sales company, and they needed a, a sports field, a, a guy to call on sports fields. And I said, you know, I, I'm still young. I don't know a, a ton about chemicals and fertilizers and things like that. And they brought me in, and, and they uh, they – they put me with a couple of the golf reps for about a month, month and a half. And I, I stayed there for about a year and a half and really got my, I guess, turf education working with those guys. 
learning you're learning the process of fertilization, learning how certain fungicides work, learning learning how herbicides work, learning the timing on these things. Really, you know, really learning to use resources that were in front of you in, with with publications and how to read a label. You know, how much how much product to put out, how much active ingredient to use, things like that. So that was really my my turf education. I spent a little bit of time with the city of Greensboro kind of in, in the meantime, when that, that company was actually sold. So they absolved that job. Um, spent a little time with the city of Greensboro and then got a call from, uh, from Nolan Thomas saying, uh, Hey, you, you know, you know, a lot of people in the area, Myrtle beach Pelican's job in Myrtle beach is going to be open there. And affiliate of the Braves. I said, I said, Nolan, you know what? Let me think about it. I'll, uh, I'll pass the word along. Give me a couple days, you know, give me, give me the next week and I'll let you know. And I called Nolan back 20 minutes later, said, who do I call for an interview? And uh, went down, went down there and uh, spent 11 great years in Myrtle beach, 11, 12 great years in Myrtle beach. Got a chance to go. Uh, and we were Braves affiliate. My GM, the current GM there took the job in Gwinnett the second year that Gwinnett was open and Got me to come down there, and uh, I had seven really good years in Gwinnett with the Braves, and just uh, just ran out of gas. Hang on, my house phone's ringing. You can answer it if you want. We'll put them live on the air. Political call. All right, so I was uh, Gwinnett, right? Yeah. So 2000, 2017, I uh, I kind of decided to make a life change and get out of the day-to-day grind. Everybody that's seen me knows I'm a little hefty and I, I, I'm not in the best health shape. You know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a, a Greek God by any means, but decided that I wanted to get out of baseball for a little while and uh, just kind of see what else was out there. And you know, Southern athletic fields, I used to do uh, a bunch of things with Southern athletic fields. They, uh, they said, if you ever, if you ever thought about getting out of it and wanted to get into sales, give us a shout. Well, I called their bluff and, and, um, they ended up hiring me in 2017 and profile who, um, is the manufacturer, the home, the parent company of Turfus bought us in 2017. And I've been with them since then. And, um, here I am sitting in my office for, I think day 70 during the, uh, during the at home crisis and, uh, yeah, enjoy, enjoying it. Uh, enjoying the time on the road getting to see everybody and traveling and seeing the facilities and uh, and hope we can all break out of this pretty soon i'm glad you brought up your your past because i think i think it's neat for for others that are in our industry or or maybe contemplating going in our industry that we can all get here through different roads yeah you know the matt and robbie and i and even jimmy last week we all went to NC State. We all have some agronomy background. You come from a totally different side of that. And and a side that I think that there's a lot of other people that kind of are in our industry that come from that side, but you, you don't have that formal education in agronomy. You kind of grew up, came up through the, the ranks through a sport, which yeah. baseball being one that a lot of guys kind of get in our industry that way. Do, do you feel like that that has been a, do you think do you feel like you see the industry in a different light than maybe us guys do that, that have come up through the, the kind of the academic side? Well, you know, it was interesting. Matt touched on something in, in y'all's y'all's talk, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, he was he was thrust into a, a stadium operations role very, very, you know, soon after he got to Bowie, same thing with me in Myrtle Beach, and I and I think that 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 stemmed from coming up through the sport, not through the not through the classroom, and they I, I had a lot to deal with the a lot to do with the player development staff. I had a lot to do with the the marketing of it. Uh, I had a lot to do with the human resources side of it. A lot to do with the with the mathematics and the budgeting and the and uh, and things like that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I do, I, I do think it, it gave, it gives me a little bit different perspective through a, through a true like game management style, if you will. And especially through the years, wasn't just, just concentrated on the field. It was, you know, my responsibilities at both at, at, at all the stadiums that I were, that I, that I worked at were multifaceted, if you will. But, you know, I, I think it, my situation was very unique in how I tried and, and it just kind of fit that way that, that every step I took was a piece of an education. I mean, it really, really was, you know, you kind of get you're in, you know, I, lo- I looked at UNC Greensboro as an internship, you know, and then looked at my time with uh, with NIVEC as almost almost 
a, a post post grad, like a master's, you know, be, because and, and because of the timing, it was almost I was with them almost two years, and what you know what I learned in that point in time just elevated my knowledge base and then getting back, you know, then getting back into, into true professional baseball and getting thrust into the business side of it in such a hurry, you know, I really, really helped me along the way. There's a lot of people in this industry that maybe don't realize that they're in this industry, whether they're they're coaches or they're taking care of ball fields and it may not be their primary responsibility. Uh, And that's something I want to see us as, as an organization reach out to those people, but, but they're taking care of a ball field and, uh, I think it's 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 neat that that they see those people and others that are that maybe have an interest in becoming part of our industry that there's not just one pathway to get there. Yours is yours is a different path. Yeah, and you as a matter of fact touched on something too the other day about, you know, how how you expand your network and you surround yourself with people that may have different bits of knowledge than you do and you feed off of them. And I'll, I'll say this too, that that, and, and you guys all know me, you know, my gift to gab, that's, that's how I continue to further my career is, you know, make phone calls and make visits and, and things like that all during my career to learn more. And, you know, I, I think the, the great thing about our industry is that, is that every, just about every, 99% of people share, share strategy, share problems, share fails, share successes. And that's, that's what makes us unique. Most of us are open books. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the one thing that I found different from the golf course industry and the sports turf industry. We're all doing the same thing, but things always felt more competitive in the golf course industry than they did in the sports turf industry. In the sports turf world, people are always looking to help each other out and they want everybody to succeed. I think you really hit that one. Right. Well, you know, one of, one of our three main, you know, one of our three main goals as sports field managers is safety. And I think that, that in the back of our head that we all know by sharing this information keeps our field safer, keeps them play more playable. And, and that's why, you know, we, we don't try to outduel each other, you know, and everybody's got a different situation, whether it's staff or budget or locate geographic location, climate. Um, but th- there's a commonality that we all share. And, and I think that's, uh, that's, that's really unique. And, and, and again, you know, to your point, Robbie, uh, you know, I, when I was in Myrtle beach, I really spent a lot of time with some, some a plus golf course superintendents at that point in time, when I got to Myrtle beach, we had a hundred and 111 or 112 golf courses open. And when I left, we had like 82 or 83, um, and, and it was, it was kind of survival of the fittest. And I, sur- you know, I surrounded myself with, with some golf course superintendents that really love baseball and they did a lot for me. And, uh, I mean, the, the guy at the surf club is the one that got me that, that, that convinced me that I was, I was smart enough and okay to, to start spraying. I was scared to death of it. And he, he, I met him in 2004 and we had, um, many, many conversations. He said, look, you're going to kill something. You're going to, you're going to go three X. You're going to have a, have a, a line bus. It's, it's, it's okay. You know, it's okay as long as you don't do it again. So, but yeah, so, um, Brian, Brian Keck at the Surf Club, Randy Allen, who was with Burroughs and Chapin, those, those two guys were really, really good at their craft. Uh, and they were both like, both like father figures. Um, and, and they, I got a lot out of them. So anyway, I can't remember where I was going with that, but there you have it. Well, you know, Butter, to, to your point about golf real quick, touch on that. I mean, I, since I've been in Charlotte, you know, really throughout my career, I've been fortunate to be around some good golf course superintendents. And I think that there's a notion that we don't cross over with the golf guys a whole lot and they don't cross over with us. And in some in some capacities, that that is true. But the thing I found in Charlotte with the network of golf course superintendents here is uh, they, they host some events out at our stadium. Um, and, and I always go up and try to, try to speak to them when they're here and at, at games and stuff. And they're as interested in what we're doing as as we are in what they're doing. Um, I mean, we we all like to play golf, so we go out on the golf course, and it's completely different than what we do. But I found, um, you know, as much as they're interested in what we do, there's a lot of things that we can talk to them about, um, areas that we may have failed, uh, that, that that we can lean on those guys and take some of what they do and and, and put it into what we do on a daily basis. And um, you know, it goes back to that forging relationships, and it's just really interesting to me how so many of us in our industry. 
we all seem to have some type of sports background, but we just kind of stumble upon it. And oh, yeah, I, I absolutely, I, I fell, I fell into this. Yep. And I, and I think that that would be a lot. I think that you could equate that to the golf industry quite a bit too. Um, sure. I, I mean, you know, you got a lot of guys who, and, and quite honestly, if it wasn't for sports turf, all of us would probably be probably be in the golf industry just because of our enjoyment playing golf. So, um, just speak, speak, speak for yourself. It's, well, not yeah. as, it's not as enjoyable for some of us. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I haven't played much this year, but I, I, I've been known to, uh, have one of the wildlife control, uh, aspect <laughs> of, of golf. So. Yeah. Story for another time. <laughs> well, let's get into some fails. <laughs> that was a pretty big one. <laughs> I don't know. You accomplished something. <laughs> oh, I, I just can't get. I can't get that sight out of my head. Oh, all right. You hit on a little bit your uh, presentation you did down at the Myrtle Beach conference. So we got a couple slides here. We'll take a look at, and we're going to start off with how not to drag a field and. I just want to know where uh, where did you get this slide of this Vespa? Let me just, oh, let me just scroll down to this thing. But uh, yeah, my man's got a got a sweet Vespa. Uh, looks like he's got a pretty decent sized drag there. I just don't know from looking at this picture. He's you know he's he's about to he's going to have to make one hell of a tight turn with that Vespa to get inside that foul line. <laughs> He also looks like he might be playing in the game. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. maybe. He's, he's got pants and he's got uh, he's got some spikes on, doesn't he? It appears that way. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, I mean, think about it. I, I'm, I, I know. Let's just put, let's just put it straight. Eastern North Carolina, growing up, we didn't have the the premier sports fields, and and, and I'm sure we're you know in Charlotte and Matt and probably up in the mountains too, and, and Clark, you 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 know what I'm talking about. You'd see you'd see you know you go. We, I'd play a Legion ball game, and here comes a four wheeler, you know, with a drag behind it, or here comes the uh, the zero turn with a with a drag behind it, or uh, you know here comes. I, a I had a I had a Chevy Silverado that I drug 17 fields with a day when I worked for Watauga County Parks and Recreation when I was in college. Yeah, drop we used to drop the drag mat out, hook it to the tow hitch, and start driving in circles. Yeah, we had uh, we had these these things on the uh, we had Ford Rangers in Greensboro, and they welded uh, two hooks on the on the uh, on the bumper, and we do the same thing. You drag you drag softball fields, no grass infields with the with the with the Ranger truck. Uh, yep. But this, I believe, this is from uh, Japan, and um, I cannot remember if it was the guys from Brightview or who it was over there. But I remember seeing this picture and, and I, when I, when I see things on social media or uh, even on TV, you know, I try to take pictures of them just to, just to you never know when you could use them. And I got this a long, this one a long, long time ago. In the next picture, we get to see uh, something a little bit different. This guy's using a, looks like an extension ladder to drag his field. What are your thoughts on using different items? Something that's not uh, a regular, drag you know showing a little bit of ingenuity and and you know finding what you have around and trying to put that to use and make that work for your field you know this is actually kind of ingenious this is from this is from the puerta vallarta collegiate challenge and uh is, is that mexico puerta vallarta maybe but, yes that's but think, think about this though what what a great level board you know, I mean, it, that's a ladder is about as straight edge as you can find, and it's got two levels on it. So you lay it, you know, you lay it flat on the ground and, and pull it. I, I mean, that's it's, it's in, a, in a fail, it's a way, but it's it's kind of ingenious. Very, very taking, taking what you have and and making taking good what, use of what you got around. Yep, yep, taking what you got and putting it to best use. I, I you know, yeah. it'd be interesting to see what the the guys in the background. Or you know, it looks like they're they're patching holes. It, it'd be interesting to see what kind of tools they're using. But anyway, yeah, one of the more interesting things I've ever used to drag a field with or seen somebody use was we had a chain link fence section that we used one time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and you know, in in my in my travels over the last several years, the 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 other the other really impressive thing are the variances in the in the nail drags or the scarifiers that you see. Uh, you know what? You'll see a Hera, you know, a Tyne Hera rake. I've seen a, I've seen some huge logs, and they put a rope on the log, and they would, they put like an inner tube on it, so you can put it around your shoulders and pull the log, strengthen your legs. 
and I saw a, a, a coach somewhere that had taken one of those, like a telephone pole, and flattened the telephone pole out and used that to basically pull material around. It wasn't a railroad tie. The One side was totally flat, and the other side was still round. But, you know, put two eye bolts in there and a rope, and you may have to use, you may have to use a Silverado to pull it, but, uh, <laughs> you know. I remember as a kid growing up, uh, you take me back a little bit talking about some of these things, butter. But when I was a kid, I remember seeing folks drag the infield with, I think they were using like a CJ5 Jeep, and it was like a tire pyramid. All these tires, and the, you know what I'm, when I say it was in a shape of a triangle that were tied together, and that's what they would drag around the infield with. And I think so, one of them, I think, even had like a piece of chain link fence a small section off the back of it to, to finish it, you know, like what? that was really going, but I mean, it was not, un, that was, that was what the fields got dragged with in four Oaks, North Carolina. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think McLean, my old assistant who left Gwinnett and went to Altoona was telling the story that Altoona was run and or owned by a family. The, the father and the and the mother and the a couple of sons. Anyway, one of the sons was the accountant, and he liked to come and do do things on the field. and And he asked McLean if he could come cut the field when he was going to be gone home in the, in North Carolina, in, in South Carolina one weekend or something. McLean said, "Yeah, sure." You know, and he showed him how to do it and all that stuff. And so he gets done cutting and takes it takes it back and cleans it off and gets the diesel out and ends up putting um, putting diesel in the hydraulic reservoir and uh calling McLean or McLean called him and said hey how'd it go this that, and the other he's like well you know he said I mowed for mowed for about two two and a half hours you know mowed your pattern and and it, it didn't accept much fuel and McLean's a little you know a little concerned about it and anyway gets back and the the fuel tank's dead empty so he calls calls him down to, to the shop and says well you know I don't know what you did here. So anyway, found out that he put he put about a uh, about a gallon of diesel fuel in the uh, hydraulic reservoir, and that was uh, that was not a pretty sight. But anyway, so I've got another another uh, a good one. I, I don't know what. Are you sharing your screen? I can. Yeah. Which one you want to see? That one, the twelve hundred. So <laughs> this is when I was at UNCG, and we just built a baseball stadium. We're starting to get. We're starting to get new equipment, um, you know, on a, on a, on a regular basis. We got, we got a, re- a couple of real mowers and we got a walk behind and we finally, 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 we get our utility vehicles and all is, is the ransom three speed. And then we do, we get a 1200 a and, um, I work for the physical plant. I didn't work for athletics. So they wanted to see how, you know, how, how all these pieces of equipment, while we, while we were buying them, while, while we, while we needed the, the, the fins on the back or while we needed the, the uh, the great drag or whatever. So I have to kind of put on a show and show them why we need all this equipment. Well, I've been using our maintenance shop was across the street, up the hill, around around by the by the golf course uh, where we had our fuel tanks. So I was pumped up. I'm like, look, they finally they're finally going to understand why we need this, why we spend so much time on the infield dirt. I'm gonna get to show them why you know why both of these implements are so necessary why well, get up there to fill it up and i fill the damn thing up with diesel fuel again so they're waiting and they're waiting i finally i empty the tank again put fresh gas in it thing same thing that happened at, at, at war memorial Pow! just you know and i'm 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 I, so i leave it get it started i leave the shop and about every 20 feet pow pow you know this thing's brand new like doesn't even have two hours on it. So anyway, so I'm dragging, I'm dragging the infield, and it's just, pow, it's just backfiring, 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 backfiring. And uh, they, they're convinced that we got this lemon, you know, and they want to send it back and whatever else. And and uh, our mechanic at school was was an old was an older fella, and he said he said, "What'd you put in the gas tank?" And I said, "You know, I, I put I put diesel in it, this that and the other. I drained it out as fast, didn't turn it over, you know, whatever." And and uh, so that, that was really embarrassing. It was our athletic director. It was our physical plant director, our my supervisor at the time, and then our uh, our a couple of our associate ads, and then the baseball staff. So and of course, you know, I, we had a couple of characters on our baseball staff, and they wore me out about it. Absolutely wore me out about it. So, so 
I thought that, you know, second time was a charm. Well, we, uh, we had the same, same thing happen in, uh, in Georgia when I was in Gwinnett. I ended up for some stupid reason. I don't know why I just wasn't paying attention, put diesel fuel in this unit right here. And, uh, and we, we, uh, that, that was, I think, I think that was about the time it was in 2016. That was about the time I made the, made the decision to hang it up, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, so I've, I've personally done it three times. I can't tell you how many times my staff members have done it. And that's, you know, that's the tough thing about baseball. You get new, you get new, new ground screw guys every year. I mean, Matt, you can, you can, uh, you can attest to that. Yeah, I'm the I'm the best at that, getting, getting somebody new every year. So, you know, I've often thought, you know, in all these years, I've been fortunate. I've, I've never had a, a fuel mix up happen um, that that I that I was aware of. But I've often looked at our equipment and tried to come up with ways to delineate um, delineate how to kind of convey that message as to what goes where. You know, some pieces have it right there on the fuel tank on the gas cap some don't and we finally just came up with a policy here in charlotte that uh micromanagement at its best but the only people who are allowed to to refuel our equipment are myself and my assistant um not to say that we wouldn't make a mistake but you know when we're running 20 to 25 hourly guys a year through this place um it just as part of the orientation we just do uh the two of us fill in equipment and um it's the assistant's job basically to make sure that every night before we leave, everything's refueled for the next day. And we've been fortunate, but uh, it just takes one mix up to, and I always go back and forth. I can never remember which is worse. If you put gas in a diesel, diesel in a gas. So I just, uh, I kind of live by the, you know, measure twice, cut, cut once mentality. Just make sure you do it right and try to minimize the, the, the input, so to speak. So, yeah, we, we ended up, we ended up writing in silver. I was a big proponent of a silver Sharpie. We wrote in silver Sharpie on every piece of equipment that we had very, very visibly. And we would do it a couple times a year. The other thing we did with a silver Sharpie, I don't know if um, you guys may remember this, but on the bed or on the undercarriage or on the, you know, on the, on the body of every piece of machinery we had, we wrote part numbers for the air filter, oil filter, fuel filter, belts and and whatever pertinent maintenance info that we could that that we 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 would do in-house you know we write the part numbers on there and then how much oil you know you put in the reservoir because we're we were a mechanic basically and uh that was that was a really good thing that we did to save a lot of time instead of going in the office getting the book or going on the on the on the on the website you know whether toro or deer jake or whatever it was to Look for the part number, cross-reference the part number that we had in stock, whatever else. So and also in December, when we were ordering all of our maintenance supplies for the year, we know that we're going to need, hey, we're going to need four of these. We're going to need six of those, eight of those, a box of the naked lady tees, you know, all that stuff. So <laughs> that silver Sharpie worked out well for you, didn't it, Butter? Big time. Yeah. <laughs> only, mi- only mixed it up three times. Well, that's <laughs> a lot later in life. That was the hard one, though, you know, getting the diesel and the gas straight. Yeah. Really. Especially if you use a lot of different equipment. You know, on the golf course, we had all diesel stuff, and now I have all gas stuff pretty much. And I know my first couple of years after leaving the golf course, it was definitely – I freaked out every time I put any kind of fuel in anything, trying to remember what it was. I remember I called people a couple of times. Was I supposed to put diesel in this, or was I supposed to put gas in this? I couldn't remember. I don't even know if I can remember what I had put in that day. You know, another thing we always worry about is the hydraulic fluid leaking – and spilling on the grass, you know, the, the guy that we had who put gasoline in the, the hydraulic line, he drove that thing all over the place. And when I finally called up to him, he had gas. Once it pressurized, he had gas spilling out, spewing out the back all over the hot muffler. And I was, I mean, I don't know if this would happen or not, but I was worried he's going to blow up. Blow up. And I, was, I mean, he had no clue. He was just driving on along. He had no clue. Just gas, just pouring. I mean, I'm going to assume since it had the hydraulic fluid, you know, here's a disclaimer. I'm not a, a chemist. I'm going to assume because it had hydraulic fluid mixed in it as well that that kept it from igniting. But you see gasoline just pouring on a hot muffler. That's a little unnerving. A little iffy. <laughs> yeah. But talking about uh, equipment fails, you know, we when we talked with Jimmy last week, we touched on uh, green is good and blue is bad. One of my uh, bigger fails in the in minor league baseball so I used to love running over our tarps. <laughs> Just seems like every day, you know, no matter – we walk mowed the infield uh, every day, and 
you know, that was my job doing the infield, doing the skirts. And I had a terrible problem picking up the front end of that mower. Now, like I said, I have a little bit of a history in golf. So, you know, when I was doing my internships in college before I went to minor league baseball, you know, when you're turning a mower on a green and you're mowing bent grass, which is a lot lower, and you go and you decide you're going to mow a Bermuda grass field, you're used to, your body's kind of used to picking that mower up just a little bit and making a sharp turn. And when you have obstacles like tarps to dodge, it's a little bit different. But we used to have to get the, uh, before, this is when Jimmy was still in school and I was there during the day by myself and I, I swear I would do it every day. And I'd have to call the guys up from the, the, uh, the ballpark staff would have to come down, the stadium staff would have to come down and help me unwind the tarp out of the reels. That I had stopped them up so bad sometimes it just stopped the whole mower. And here I'm looking down the, the foul line, hoping Jimmy doesn't show up before I get this thing out of there and start mowing again. <laughs> He's, he's, and, not, he's not going to see the tarp when he gets to work. I was going to say, <laughs> those tarps don't work too well once they get run over by a real mower. Hey, you know, <laughs> I know you were on that crew that year too, Matt. He was, uh, he, if he had any patience, it's because I, I used it all up in the, uh, in the morning. <laughs> real, real, mower, real mowers and infield protectors too. They, they don't, they don't work very well together. Um, I've, I've, I've got a, about a four day old wedge protector, you know, the big one in front of the, in front of the, uh, in front of the plate doing the same thing, but turn, turning with a fairway unit and the reels were not all the way up on the fairway unit. I was turning on it. We were in a time crunch and just, just going, uh, going too fast without paying attention. A tarp's not hard to get out, but those, uh, those mesh wedges, when they split, and all the little different strings start to get rolled up into the end of the reel and, and get get close to the bearing on the on either side. That is not a fun project to do. So I've I've I, I'll admit that I've done that once or twice. We had a uh, oh man, this picture breaks my heart. So this this uh, I, I was fortunate enough a couple of years ago to go to Williamsport and work Little League World Series. And I was a new guy. We, I was not working at the Lomity. I was working at Volunteer Stadium. And we had had rain on and off and on and off all week. And, and I, uh, I was sitting there, and there's so much downtime. I'm like, you know what? The, the, we have paid zero attention to the warning track this week at all. Like, let, me, uh, let me just go give it a quick drag. Mind you, the, the field had been completely padded, brand-new padding, like the week before the tournament started. And, you know, there's, there's obstacles everywhere. There's TV, you know, there's TV lines and there's, uh, you know, microphones taped in between pads and things like that. I was on a, an infield machine that I'm not familiar with. And it had one of those big, big, one of those um, Ron groomers on the back of it. Well, also, you know, my warning track in Gwinnett in the outfield, we were 20 feet from the cut of the grass to the wall. She had plenty, plenty of room to turn and do, you know, do circles and turn around and things like that. Well, you compress that into about eight feet for a for a little league park. You know, I, th I think the track was either, either six or eight feet wide, and uh, you can't really turn on those without one hitting the grass and then smoking the brand new pads and tearing about seven of them. Uh, on your first on your first turn so luckily we had enough time and and uh we got that squared away and got it got it fixed so it looked right but that was i i have never been so embarrassed in my life brand new pads little league world series you know second day there i think that i'm gonna you know reinvent the wheel and go drag the warning track with the infield machine and there i, I you know i ripped seven pads so yay go me we had that. We had that happen last year, but our uh, opening day. God bless him, my assistant. He, he, same thing. Went out to drag our warning track. That ours was a twenty foot wide warning track, and uh, he had a logoed pad. And so it wasn't a green pad that we could, you know, mask up with our green tape. It was a, it was another color pad on opening day. And, you know, it was one of those situations, nothing needed to be said, you know, the lesson was learned and it didn't happen again, but just goes to show these things don't happen just to, just to you being the best. They happen to all of us. So it's uh learning experience has come from all these things. Well, you, you know, again, you, you look back at it, you learn from it, but 
God help you. You got to laugh at yourself a little bit. You know, you, you, you got to, you got to kind of take, take that breath and go, you know what? That was really stupid to me. <laughs> really, really funny, you know? And, and that's, uh, I, I think that's kind of how, that's kind of how I live my life. You know, it's, it's don't, don't make fun of a lot of other people, but you can sure, sure make fun of yourself. Yep. And, uh, but yeah, that was, that was one of my crowning achievements. I think at the Little League World Series, you know, one of the, one of the biggest, you know, the biggest pieces of baseball television that you have on during a year, and you know, of course, during the during the rebroadcast, you can see a green tape, the green vinyl tape, on the brand new pads that I screwed up. The FNG. Yep, absolutely. You never think I'd be an FNG again, but I, I was. Here's the great thing, though: they invited me back, so it couldn't it couldn't have been the worst thing to worst thing to happen. Well, you know, all these all these things are are. I mean, they're teaching moments, right? Absolutely. You, you, you have a screw up, and hopefully, it never happens again. And uh, it, you know, it is a reminder, though. We're talking about equipment at, and I think we take it for granted a lot of times. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but. You know, a lot of the equipment that we use is dangerous, and uh, if 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 not used properly or you're not paying attention to what you're doing, you can get really hurt or worse. And so, uh, you know, I think it's it's a good thing sometimes that we our screw ups are these little things where no one's injured. There's this things maybe get damaged or things get ruined, but it helps keep uh, maybe us a little sharper uh, and, and remind us, you know, what, what can possibly go wrong with this. And so, uh, you know, we obviously can laugh at these things and uh, it's just, it just goes to show you that if you're not on your, on your a game with some of these pieces of equipment, you can, you can mess some things up pretty quick and hopefully nobody gets hurt. But uh you know, it's, these things make you learn and maybe pay a little bit more attention and not so much for us, but our employees and the guys that are, that are running the stuff on a regular basis is, Hey, you know, maybe next time I don't need to be thinking about you know who I'm going out with tomorrow night when I'm running to the morning infield, you know, I learned real quick how to adjust the real height after you dig a tarp out of the reel. That's the one thing I never thought about. You, know, you talk about uh, hiding it. You're not going to hide the tarp. Well, when that throws off the one side of the reel mower, you're not going to hide that <laughs> that terrible cut you're going to get. As the first Jimmy thing Jimmy would notice, we'd come into what happened right there. Uh, we might need to hit the tarp again. We might need to look at the hide and cut. <laughs> just hit the other side. Yeah, just turn around and do it backwards again. <laughs> make, make sure it's uniform. Anybody ever hit a hit a tarp spike or a? Air, aerator time with a reel yeah oh yes that's uh so we we make sure that now we we use uh colored tarp spikes and uh before a set of aerator times goes on an air fire what do we do we paint the top of those aerator times yeah. in case you have an aerator time pop out of your air fire so good that, idea so that you can see you know because inevitably eventually if you haven't done it you're going to lose an aerator time but if you oh, got yeah. it if you got it painted with a safety yellow or a fluorescent orange or something like that it's a whole lot you're a whole lot more apt to see that because you, you might not even know that you lost it until you get back to the shop and then uh you know get two plus acres to go try to find that thing so if it's painted at least you and you know you lost it you can find it before you hop on that mower so uh, well, I don't. I don't know what y'all what y'all would use too with your string lines. You know, some people use screwdrivers. Some people use, you know, landscape spikes. Some people use, you know, like twenty penny nails. I always use tarp spikes because we had so many of them laying around. It just wasn't. You know, I didn't. I, I could always find one. And and the, the worst too with those is your your guys when they're winding the strings up, leaving them in the baseline. Yep. You know, leaving it, leaving them on the field. So we uh, we we did the same thing, Matt. We 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 dip our uh, our uh, airification times in either blue or red paint, and we we dip our the the, the top two inches of our tarp spikes in either pink or uh, like safety pink or safety yellow yep yeah it's kind of it's kind of a tough feeling when you go out there for that first drag in the third inning and you get back over to first or third base and you have an umpire handing you a spike from one of your string lines from when you chalk the field before the game mm -hmm. yeah yeah that, that always that always we we had it happen there yeah there's a picture of it right there we had it happen and that was that was my first year in Gwinnett and I didn't think anything of it and we started doing that afterwards and the other thing I'd have the guy the guys do is you make you make sure the spikes are up 
make sure the spikes are up. And after the field was, was, you know, we were done, I'd have one guy run the third and one guy run the first and make sure, make sure the, the pins were out. Yeah. That's that's kind of like a trainer a trainer handing you uh, a sod staple that he found on the field after uh, having the covers on. That's that's not a good one either. You just you're just glad that he didn't pull it out of somebody before he gave it to you. He actually found it on the ground. You know that's something we started doing too with our growth blankets. We started painting all of our sod staples. Thank the Lord for Twitter, but now we we don't use sod staples. We use the old PVC with a hole drilled in it and a spike in that. How'd they work, by the way? Unbelievable. Phenomenal? Good. Anybody who hadn't seen that before that utilizes growth blankets, a piece of 12-inch PVC, hole drilled in it and a, a nail through it, makes life a whole lot easier. And a whole lot less of them have to use than a, than a uh, sod staple. So that speaks to the advent of technology. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I wish that I, that we would have had Twitter t- 15 years ago. The, you know, the, the amount of, the amount of, of things that I've stolen or ideas that I've taken from other people all across the, not just the country, but all across the world has, has, has been because of that, that networking, you know, I mean, uh, that, 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 that thing, it, it's incredible that I retweeted something today golf course superintendent started making his own airification, solid airification tines uh, for, for next to nothing. He goes to a local machine fabricating shop, gets three-eighths inch rods, and cuts his own tines, you know. Just takes a, takes a, a metal, metal grinder on a chop saw, on a miter saw, and just stamps them out. Takes an angle grinder, puts a little a little tip on them, and there you go. You got, you got your own tines, you know, yeah. for... for cheap if you know and especially this day and time if you can't you know if you've got tight budgets or something like that and you can spend 60 bucks on steel rods instead of i don't even know how much airification tines are anymore instead of 200 dollars on a set of tines hey you know it's about i guess you use that use those use those ideas and, and resources this year these are your guys clark yes it is that would be a picture of my crew with scissors in hands cutting up the little uh, tick marks, the little dots that we made on the 45 with uh, a logo stencil rather than on the 50. So, uh, yeah, that's a good picture. I think I told that story a couple weeks ago. But, yeah, it was it's uh, it was not a fun time, but ran to Target and grabbed all the – they're actually haircutting scissors, which I wish I had right now, uh, given the state of my bushy head. Uh, even though the state of South Carolina has uh, opened up salons and barbershops, but I think the wait times right now are a little more than I can stand. So, uh, but yeah, I, you know, this is a perfect example of something that, that, that happened. It was terrible that it happened, but you know what? Nobody was hurt. Nobody was injured. And at the end of the day, we found a solution for the problem. We cut out all the paint. We put a little green sand in the, the divots that we basically made. And within a day or two, you, you couldn't tell it. But um, I bet it never happens again as long as I'm here. Uh, one, because my, all my guys will know to make sure they're putting that thing on the right yard line, the stencil. And uh, number two, be looking over their shoulders to make sure that they do. So uh, <laughs> it was, it was not. Uh, I mean, this was this was this was two days, three days before our season opener on S- the, the debut of the SEC Network uh, against Texas A&M. And thank goodness uh, it didn't show up. Of course, they beat us like a drum when we, they played us, but. Uh, and maybe it would have been better if we'd had some. Uh, I always look back, and I think I said the other day, is the team actually came out there that day, and all you could hear was, "You realize y'all put that on the wrong." Where yes, 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 we we realize, and uh, you know they played so poorly in that game. I always in the back of my mind was like, "Oh gosh, I wonder if they got off like what we do really matters in their minds." But it was maybe we we got them started off on the wrong foot that week but uh i don't think it would have mattered with that 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 night but um yeah you you learn you make these mistakes and you learn from them and hopefully you don't fire anybody uh as a result or say something you shouldn't say to somebody you know it happens who called you and told you oh that was donnie it was donnie <laughs> donnie landler you know and 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 the, the caption on the picture was are you sitting down? And that's exactly what he said to me when he called me, Clark, are you sitting down? And I said, no. And I got a feeling I'm not going to be, 
you know, so they knew they screwed up and, you know, it's like, I think we talked about the other day, you want to, you want to scream and yell and, uh, but there's, there's, there's no reason to, they, they feel just, the guys who made the mistake feel worse than you do about it. I hope it never happens again, but you know, these things are, yeah, they happen. They happen. That brings to mind another one we had, another uh, fail that we had a couple of years ago was we were spraying not only uh, – it was we were getting ready for regionals. I think we were hosting a regional, and we were spraying some iron and some, you know, a foliar feed, along with a little bit of Primo in the tank. And the applicator, I don't know what – I still don't know exactly what happened. But uh, the booms on a, the certain sprayer we use, if you if you press the boom, they, they don't have a limit, and they'll go all the way to the ground. And somehow I think the operator thought he was hitting the button to turn on the foam marker for the right boom, but in, instead he had his finger on the, the boom raise and lower and lowered that boom all the way to the ground and drove all the way down the field with it down. Those last, particularly the last nozzle on that boom was about four inches from the ground, just spraying about a 4X rate in a line all the way from the first base foul line to center field. And uh, the best part of it was I didn't know about it until the next morning I, I came in and I saw this black, you know, this, this dark mark all the way across the field. And I thought, what in the world? And, uh, and then the the person who who the culprit came and said, "Yeah, I I, I probably should have told you when I did it, but uh, we ran to water. <laughs> we ran to water, but <laughs> you can still see it. But thank goodness, in a couple, you know, within a couple of days, it was gone. Uh, but and we masked it with how we mowed. But you know, that was one time when I was told. I remember standing. I can remember like yesterday, standing on the warning track, and as they're telling this story. I could feel, you know, you can feel the red line coming up your neck and going up your face and, you know, like the thermometer. And it, 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 it was one, I, I, I had to walk away. I really had to walk away. I was, I was, that one made me about as angry as anything, just because of number one, not really that, that, that they screwed up, but it was that they didn't tell me about it the day that it happened. And so, uh, you know, that's what I always tell my crew. I tell all the guys, I say, we all screw up, guys. We do it all the time. Own it, though. Own it and, you know, tell somebody. Tear up a piece of equipment. If you mess something up on a field, own it. And then let us know about it because we can fix it. We can fix these things. But, uh, but yeah, when somebody does something and they don't tell you, that's – I, I'm a lot more apt to be upset about that rather than just it happening. And hey, I screwed up. You know, I'm not. I'm never going to fire anybody for doing something that's, you know, for making a mistake, unless it was just complete negligence on their part. Uh, I, I'll be very angry when they try to cover something up or don't tell it, tell you about something. Was that a sprayer a single operator sprayer, sprayer or a double operator? But y'all know people know. They don't know people know there are double operator sprayers where one person drives and the other person operates the chemicals and the booms and everything. And uh, one night we were after a game trying to get a, a application out, and you know it was probably midnight, one o'clock, and, and you know one guy's driving, I'm the guy that's operating the booms and operating the chemical and. I mean, you think about trying to do that on a normal day when, you know, you, you're paying attention to what's going on. You do that after a, you know, 15 hour day, you're going out there doing it. And, you know, I, I hit the on button instead of the boom down button. And I dosed myself pretty good with uh, all kind of chemical. I wish I could say I had PPE on. I don't think I did. <laughs> you can edit that out. I edit that out. But yeah, I think always wear your PPE. <laughs> I think the statute of limitations may be up on the uh, the OSHA review on that one, but uh, you know the, the most of the the biggest fails a lot a lot of the biggest fails anyway happen with the best of intention. And I know everybody knows uh, we all know Ian Christie. Ian was my assistant, and some of you have heard this story. I, I don't think I've told it on this podcast, but 
um, when Ian and I work together, um, I have a great affinity for Ian. He's probably the best employee I've ever had and has made quite a name for himself in his career. But Ian was the kind of guy when he worked for me that I'm going to tell a little story on him real quick, but he always had the best of intentions. And whether it be, you know, the day before a homestand, making sure that the back 95 was exactly 95 feet. Um, I tell one story. He I'd gone to the all-star game or something and come back and he had evened it out. And on one side of the infield had probably taken six inches of grass out and on the other side, taken two out and, but never checked to see if we had any infield mix in the, in the bin to, to fix that with the team coming back in town. And another great one that Ian and I had, um, we were deep time in the field in Bowie and, uh, there were no drawings or anything of the irrigation system. So I called the, the field contractor who built it. And he said, you know, if you, Matt, if you guys just stay three feet off of that worn track edge, you'll be just fine. You won't hit anything. And so I went and flagged out three feet thinking it would be exactly three feet. Well, when they tell you three feet, you should probably go four or five just to, to give yourself a, a little bit of a buffer. Well, we went three and we buried, buried a, a deep time down that side of the warning track and hit about 250 linear feet of pipe going the whole way, whole way down. And, um, so that was one that Ian and I had to stay all night and dig up and replace all the pipe because, of course, we had a team coming back into town a few days later. And, oh, we also had a field full of holes that we had to get irrigation on. So, you know, it's just those things you learn. And there are times that it's best to be conservative in your decision making, to say the least. So, How deep were you going with your... Uh, uh, that that was an awesome verification, actually, Clark. That was so. The field in Bowie was old, and it, it, there was a, a a bridging issue with that field as it aged. Basically, the gravel layer sealed off completely at the interface of gravel and sand, and so we went. Uh, that was a fourteen-inch deep time on that field. And I will never forget that when the, it was a contract verification that we did. And when they came in and did it in right field where they put the air fire down the first time and they hit that failed to bridge and it hardened off at the gravel layer, the back tires of the tractor came a good two feet off the ground. I mean, it was, it, it, it was like riding a buck and Bronco <laughs> and, um, so it, that was, that was actually, man, I could tell stories about that all day long, but that was a situation where, you know, we had to back off at that, at that point. And that, that field, the way it was built, there was, let's just say there was not a whole lot that was consistent in terms of root zone depth before we hit gravel, how much gravel was in certain places and stuff like that. But that, uh, that airification, that was the first deep time airification that I did in my career. And I learned, uh, a boatload of information off of that of things to do and not to do and go start digging holes before you actually you know put the air fire in the ground and make sure that your field's mapped out real well and i mean thank goodness the the line that we hit was a lateral at the at the warning track and and not a bunch of them out in the middle of the field i mean it could have been a, a much worse situation so um but it was a fail and it was epic at that so Hey, Butter, I got a question that's totally off uh, of our topic right here, but I got it written down, and I, I've never asked you that. I, you and I, I've known you for a long time, and I've never heard this, but we're, we're, we want to hear this for, for, for my, my good and everybody else that knows you. When were you tagged with the name Butter? Oh, God. Who did it? Who, who tagged you with it, and was there a story that goes along with that? So... Oh, and this is this. I'm gonna get pretty deep here for a minute, okay? <laughs> All right. So, I was born. I was born in Greenwood, South Carolina. Okay. My parents split up when I was two. Okay. And so the man that you know, Lee, is not my natural born father. But God bless if we don't look alike, we don't sound the same. We got a lot of the same mannerisms. So he and my mom got married when I was like four or five. So he's my dad. Okay. My, my mom and dad met. And then about six or seven months later, they, uh, they decided to get married and they, dad was, dad was a builder. Okay. And he said, what do you think about putting, he, and he had a son from his first marriage. He said, what do you think about putting this family together? Brings my mom a set of house plans Said, I'm going to build us a house. Let's get married. All right. So at that point in time, the the, the neighborhood that, that we were living in, um, you know, was was one of the all his buddies and whatever else. And it was it was a good family neighborhood to live in. Um, the Aldridge boys, uh, Matt and Chad Aldridge, they lived in the neighborhood. 
I had, I had just, we, we moved in there and I started riding my bike all over the place and meeting, you know, meeting guys and, you know, playing football and basketball and, and you know, wiffle ball in the yard or whatever. They just, they just knew me as Chris. I kept my real father's last name up until I was about seven. When I turned seven years old, I started using Lee's last name, Ball. And I was in school with Chad, with the with the younger son. And they, you know, they finally used, they finally learned my last name. And I come rolling up on my, you know, Huffy one day, and we're gonna we're gonna play football. And and uh, here comes that ball boy, that butterball, that butterball turkey, that butterball looking boy. They just they wore me out. Butterball, 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 butterball. And I've had the moniker for 35 years. I have tried to, 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 to get away from it. Nobody in my family calls me that name. It's just all of y'all, all my, all my friends and, and, and people I know from, you know, from around the country. And uh, it has stuck. And I mean, you know, look at me, it fits, you know. But, uh, yeah, so I've had it for 35 years. And, uh, look, there are a lot, thing, lot, lot of other things I could be called that would be a lot worse. You know, so if that's if that's what you know me as, then that's fine. So it was a it's something I've I've lived with, and and uh, I, I will continue to live with. I'm sure until they they put me under. So now we know. So now you know. I mean, I wish it was some epic story, but it's just that's kind of you know it's, it was from gain, gaining a last name basically. But it rolls off the tongue. It does. It does. <laughs> it does. Yeah. And my, my wife calls me Christopher, so, you know. It's, Boy, it's, that's, that sounds like you're in trouble. Yeah, well, she, she's always called me Christopher for some reason, so, yeah. Yeah, but that's it. That's it. So the, na- the neighborhood kids, you know, I was probably being bullied or something like that, you know. <laughs> that's what that's what they call it today, probably. That's what yeah. it'd be called today. Yeah, that's what it'd be called today, but I've, I've, I've accepted it and, and rolled with it, so... Yep, rolled up on my bike, and and that's what I got, and it stuck with me. And I got I got to ask. Uh, so, Butter, before we let you get out of here, what um, now that you've spent a couple years on the sales side and kind of out of the being in the field, so to speak, on a daily basis, what do you miss the most? You know, Clark, I think you touched on it earlier. You, you know, you you've gotten back to mowing some. You know, mowing is very cathartic. It's very, uh, it's a proven fact the smell of grass, you know, releases something in your, in your brain or whatever, smell of cut grass releases something in your brain to help you relax. I really, I really miss cutting grass, but uh, honestly, that's the, probably the number one thing I miss. And, and I go through it and I've gone through it for three years now. There's a period of time in minor league baseball, you know, you run from, you start your college and high school season in mid-February. So you run from February until September 15th, basically, you know, with, with your early season and your, your, your minor league season and then you're outside events you may throw a couple in there in october there's that time between october and february that you're repairing everything that that basically you screwed up during the season you're planning and implementing your program for the following year you're you're budgeting you're ordering your supplies you're visiting other facilities um, I, I guess it, it's kind of it's kind of that that progression of of finishing a season leading into the next season the the, the, the process just a pro- I really enjoyed that you know and and then it, those of y'all who know me I really really miss airification. I was going to say I thought about you the other day and for those of you who follow Butter on Twitter, the thing I think I miss the most about you being in it. And, is tweeting out Sinatra Sundays. Sinatra Sundays, yes, sir. Yep. yep, Sundays were always my day, my air, my airification days. I'd get I'd get to the yard early if we weren't playing, and I had a. Uh, I've still got it here in my garage. My neighbors don't like it too much, but I've still got an old school like receiver deck stereo with big bookshelf speakers. And I was not fortunate that either either in Myrtle Beach or in Gwinnett, my my. Uh, my shop was not real close to the field, um, so I, I bought these book these bookshelf speakers at a pawn shop, Dick's Pawn Shop in Myrtle Beach, 
It's uh right there on 10th Avenue. I think I paid like 80 bucks a pop for them, but they will flat put some noise out. And I, I I'm a big time uh, old music fan. I love the Rat Pack and the classics and the old crooners, and I love beach music, Motown and beach music. Sunday was Sinatra Sunday for me. I'd go in there and I would. I, I got I, you can hook the XM radio into it. I would turn that thing up as loud as it go. It would go before it shorted out the, you know, before it hit the bra- hit the breaker on the stereo, and just pump Sinatra the Sinatra channel through that through those loudspeakers and just that was my day. Sunday was my day. So well, I thought about you the other day when I was well, it was actually three days that I was I, I, I talked to you on the phone earlier in the week and told you that I airified our field with the old air core at one and one point one point four inch spacing. Went uh-huh. through three sets of airification times and took me three days to do it. And I thought it'd be nice if I had a Sinatra playlist going while that was Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. You talking about sheer relaxation. That's that's about as good as it gets. Yeah, it doesn't matter how fast you want it to go. Nope. <laughs> so. Does not. Does not. <laughs> yeah. So. Does not. But yeah, I, I, I do. I really miss, I miss that pro- that that airification process a lot. And, you know, those of y'all that know me know that that, that, that was, that's one thing I love to do. And I did it every chance I got. You know, very, 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 very what I did spacing and time sizes and time styles and speed and things like that. But I was a big proponent, big proponent of putting, putting air in there. Well, I think that, you know, that, that I think that you were kind of one of the first uh, on the minor league baseball side to really get behind that, that super frequent airifications. And I, I think it, you know, it's a testament to you and your forward thinkingness. But, um, you know, as as baseball guys, we've been saying we've been advocating airification for years and years and years. And it's it's to the point now where I think that it's really caught on. And, you know, I look back at my records and last year, I mean, we airified 12 full field airifications last year from March to September. Yeah. Here in Charlotte. And this year we're at six already. A lot of that's just because we don't have games going on. But um you know, I think that you were kind of at the forefront of that movement in, in minor league baseball, and it it's paid huge dividends to to people on down you know down the road. So well, I'll tell you this, you know, I, I really hit my stride in my career in about 2006, and that's when I really started to do it. That's when I first gained a walk behind, and really, you really take into account that you know what, we only got we got we've got under two acres here of turf. You know, I've got under two acres. It's not a lot of room, and it doesn't take a lot of time. You know, and that's why you have staff. You can do it for a couple hours and, you know, put your assistant on it or put, you know, put, that's a great way to teach an intern or a, you know, or a seasonal kid to how to run a piece of machinery. And, yep. um, you know, and, and, and a lot of that I got from, from some of the bent your ass guys that were continued at the beach that continually vented, vent, 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 vent because of the salt and because of the heat and because of the, uh, cause of the bent. And, yep. uh, you know, the, the other thing that, that we did quite a bit, too, with the solids is that we would top dress before we would terrify. Another old golf trick. Yeah. And I and, you know, for me, you know, I, again, I don't have the I don't have the, the agronomic background. But one of the articles I read, you know, many, many moons ago was dilution was a solution is a solution. And getting that, you know, getting sand in, into that into that gummy muck, muck mess that you got in there. To, to help extend your life, you know, the life of the, your, your turf into the, you know, into the thatch and, and uh, it, it paid dividends. It really did. All right, Chris, we thank you for your time today and we want to wrap it up. Thank, thanks for having me. Appreciate, you know, appreciate all this and doing what, doing what y'all are doing uh, with this. I think it's, it's, it's awesome. Just, you know, another, another, another way that we move forward and uh, as, as a community, as an as association. So thanks for having me on boys enjoyed it really did y'all stay safe and stay healthy thanks again chris and i want to thank our 2020 partners without their support we would not be able to podcast or host regional or local events in north and south carolina check us out next time when we'll have john turnauer from the washington nationals we'll be talking about major league baseball and his field maintenance program thank you we'll see you next time 